welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Welcome to IOM3 Investigates. I'm Catherine Williams, Head of Content at IOM3, and my guest today is Dr. Philip Anderson at Cardiff University. Phil is a reader conducting research on the development, application and characterisation of soft magnetic materials and he teaches on various degree schemes at Cardiff. Morning Phil, thanks for joining me today. Morning Catherine. Hi. So, um, Phil, you're active in the Magnetics and Materials Research Group at Cardiff. So tell me a little bit about what the team does. Uh, well, we're a, a group which has been around for quite a long time, actually. There's more than 50 years of history in Cardiff of uh, working to soft magnetic materials. And we have expertise that's focused on the materials and applications that are related to things like power equipment, so we're talking transformers, inductors, generators, and motors or other electromagnetic actuators. Mm-hmm. So given your long history, how do you see the Cardiff Centre developing and growing in future? Well, we've been through a bit of a, a refresh recently, actually, so we've, we've been lucky enough to get some to BRDF funding. Mm-hmm. Um, that's allowed us to make some, some new appointments to start to grow the expertise of the group and maybe branch out into slightly different directions and also refurbish our labs. But importantly, it's about positioning, positioning ourselves to take advantage of the current climate and the opportunities that are out there. Given the new refresh and so on, what are the key capabilities that you can offer now? experience points of view we as I've already mentioned we've got quite a a long-standing history of being very good in uh, the soft magnetic materials related to the power sector Mm -hmm. things like electrical steels and cobalt ions but with the new appointments we're able to branch out a bit more into things like non-destructive evaluation a lot more into characterization technologies and modelling approaches that we can start linking together uh, the whole supply chain around electromagnetic devices and materials. Excellent. So obviously you guys are going to have a huge impact in terms of supporting future technologies, sustainability and decarbonisation. Can you talk about any of the projects that you're working on that might have an influence on the future of power generation and decarbonisation? Yeah, I mean, magnetic materials are are pretty much everywhere. I think they have all sorts of impacts on on people's lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most newsworthy application at the moment is around electric vehicles. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the motors that drive them for us. Uh, So a large proportion of the mass of that motor will be 
the soft magnetic material, and that's, that's the material that does the job of carrying the magnetic flux around the machine, lets it do the work. And the technology around motors, and particularly the materials in them, it had been relatively stagnant for uh, 50 years. There's been sort of incremental developments. Now the demand for electric vehicles driven by the decarbonisation agenda is really forcing the development of all aspects of these machines and, and particularly the materials. Excuse me, there's a printer churning away in the background here. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps a more challenging application is trying to electrify commercial air transport. Mm-hmm. So here we've got electrical machines which operate in much more extreme environments than you would find in a car. Yeah. And in an application like that, then we're going to want to predict the performance of the materials over the lifetime of the the applications or the aircraft, which, I mean, that could be a safety critical uh, aspect of the aircraft. Yeah. Perhaps moving away a little bit from the motors area, another less obvious example, which, which still has an impact on people's lives is uh, around transformer noise okay yeah so lots of people will have a distribution transformer at the end of their road so actually about five minutes walk from my house is a substation mm-hmm. and, and, and those that do live near these things will be aware of a, a characteristic hum <laughs> yes they create which can be quite annoying so Sometimes they, they, they sit in quite substantial structures to try to reduce that. And a significant tr- contributor to this noise is actually a material property. Okay. So it's, it's a property of, of the core material that's called magnetostriction. Right. And this is a property whereby if you, if you magnetize uh, the material, it will change its dimensions. Obviously, in a, in a transformer, we are, we're magnetizing it cyclically, 50 hertz of the UK. And if you cyclically magnetize it, then it means it's going to change its, its dimensions cyclically, so it's going to vibrate. It tends to vibrate with a frequency in the range of 100 to 500 hertz, something like that, which is particularly annoying to us, <laughs> right in the sweet spot of our, our hearing range. Mm-hmm. So we've done quite a lot of work over the years, both trying to understand the coupling between this material property, so magnetostriction and the vibration of the core and then the vibration of the core and transformer noise. We're also trying to reduce it at source, so reduce the magnetostriction of the materials, either by looking at the chemistry of the materials or an area we've done quite a lot of work and still continue to do so through the use of, of coatings on the materials. So you've touched there on a lot of unaddressed questions and the technical challenges you're facing. So are you working with other research groups to try and mitigate these effects and find solutions? How are you approaching these issues? Yeah, I mean, it's, all of these problems are very multidisciplinary, actually. Um, mm-hmm. We're quite a small group with a very niche area of expertise. Um, we tend to see ourselves fitting somewhere in the middle of the problem, if you like. So mm-hmm. we've, we've got to one side of us metallurgists, physicists and chemists, and, and to the other side we've got um, people who design and manufacture the machines, so motor generators, transformers or whatever. 
where the people who tried to bridge the gap speak the language of both groups and solve the problems around the materials. So I would say the majority of our projects are collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, the UK is incredibly well represented in the, in the whole area, actually. So we've got fantastic groups that specialise in electrical machines. So mm-hmm. places like Universities of Sheffield, Manchester, Nottingham, Newcastle. Then we have Birmingham University, who are our equivalent, really, for the, the permanent magnet materials. And obviously, there's, there's loads of fantastic materials research Cambridge, Swansea, Warwick. Um, I'm sure I've missed plenty of people off that list, but the UK is is fantastically positioned to take advantage of the, these sort of current issues. Mm-hmm. It's quite an exciting time, actually. It is, and um, it certainly seems like the government is uh, recognising the importance of science at the moment, which is uh, quite refreshing, actually. Yes. So it sounds like there's a huge opportunity still for future development and greater understanding of magnetic materials and more applications to come, I think. You've talked about liaising with other universities and other groups. One thing that I found quite interesting is you've been raising awareness of magnetic materials and I came across your Girl Guide Magnetics badge. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, like like all good research groups, we, we have several parallel missions around the communication of our work and, and particularly about encouraging more young people and in particular girls into science and engineering and the girl guiding one is quite interesting uh, I can't take a great deal of credit for that actually it's the my, some of my colleagues have done more work on that so, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a shout out Ke- Kevin Jones and Chris Harrison who worked with um, an outreach expert in our in our school the School of Engineering uh, Deborah Sturrup who was working through some ideas with memories of girl guiding in Wales and suggested that this would be a good route Mm-hmm. Um, for us to explore and it led to the development of a series of, of tasks and resources and, and more importantly a badge <laughs> um, to show some of the fundamentals of, of electromagnetism mm-hmm. um, and how ubiquitous it is to everyday life so we've put together these packs mm-hmm. um, and done, done a, a few remote sessions with, with groups of guides and guide leaders uh, and it's, it seems to have been very well received so far, actually. Sounds fantastic, because, uh, um, you know, in my day as a girl guide, basically you you could make tea parties and uh, embroider tablecloths, but um, I was the only girl who did electronics in, uh, in my GCSE class, <laughs> so uh, it's good to hear that things are moving on a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, my daughter's a girl guide. It's, it's a very progressive organisation. <laughs> Absolutely, they do a lot more exciting things these days. So, talking about everyday applications and so on, what are the key things that you're working on that will actually impact people's lives and where people will, will see a big difference? Because they might not recognise a difference in power generation or know how their aeroplane is being powered. So what 
is the public going to see ultimately coming out of magnetics? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Magnetics and magnetic materials are, are one of those things which, which tends to be invisible, but they really are everywhere. So from things like the washing machine to your fridge freezer, obviously now your, your car, your aircraft, uh, the trains, your computers, the, these materials are absolutely everywhere. And they, they work very well and will continue to work very well and have always worked very well. But what it tends to be about is, is incrementally, incrementally improving the efficiency of these devices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very unlikely people will see changes as maybe as big as the one like moving to electric vehicles anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But it, it's always moving forward and always has to move forward. Perhaps another good example of where you'll see them is uh, wind turbines. Okay, so yeah. That's, that's a, a, a new example. Huge electrical machines in, in those devices, mm-hmm. um, which are being subject to quite, quite demanding magnetisation conditions. So is it, um, and in wind turbines, obviously it's the rare earth materials that are that are magnetised there. So are there future possibilities for moving away from such heavy use of rare earths? Do you think that other materials will come through offering the same properties? Rare earths is, is not... Um it's not our field, so, okay. so we, we focus on the soft magnetic materials. Mm-hmm. So, actually, when most people think of magnetic materials, they are thinking of hard magnetic materials or permanent magnets, mm-hmm. so, uh, things that hold on to their magnetization. This, this is where your rare earths like neodymium ion boron and samarium cobalt magnets do come in. But we work on soft magnetic materials, mm-hmm. so materials that are specifically designed not to hold on to their magnetization. Okay. So analogy which we often use is, is it's the, the magnetic equivalent to copper wires in an electric circuit. So soft magnetic materials are used for channeling the magnetic flux to exactly where it's needed to do the work. Okay. So the, the hard magnetic materials are the, the generator of the field, the soft magnetic materials put it where it's needed. Okay. So in a transformer for instance, the soft magnetic core provides the link between the primary and the secondary windings. In a motor, uh, the job of the soft magnetic materials to carry the rotating flux around the motor and focus it into uh, the air gaps at the pole faces to generate the force. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually that the majority of the mass in these machines will be soft magnetic material, but the the sort of prime mover, if you like, the the active part is the permanent magnet or the or the coils. With um, the increase in demand for electric vehicles and potentially aircraft are we going to see an increase in demand for copper usage and similar metals absolutely yes Uh, all the aspects of electrical machines are going to be much more in demand and, and probably we're going to see more demand for the higher end materials as well um pushing towards these these rare earth magnets um, or alternatives if we can find them. Where it becomes interesting is when you look at the machines as a whole. So obviously a 
A typical electrical machine could be a combination of uh, soft magnetic core material, hard magnetic permanent magnets uh, and conductors. And actually the, the, the soft magnetic material from a value point of view is this, the least valuable part of that machine. But, but the fact that it's got things like copper and rare earth magnets in them means that it's it's got enough value to make an economic argument for um, stripping it down so mm-hmm. for the removal, separation and recycling. Uh, so in terms of the life cycle of those machines, mm-hmm. um, there's quite a clear path and, and an argument for um, properly uh, considering the, the circular... So, therefore, touching on the materials, are there any issues with material sustainability in this area and raw materials supply or recycling? Sustainability um, for soft magnetic materials, that really is only an issue for um, a class of materials called cobalt ions. Okay. Um, So, these are materials that have a very high magnetic saturation mm-hmm. um, and they tend to be used in applications where um, there's the largest weight penalty. So typically any electromagnetic devices you see in an aircraft will mm-hmm. be made of cobalt iron um, or in things like Formula One cars, okay. and any motorsport really. And cobalt mined in places like China, Democratic Republic of Congo, can be a bit of a political hot potato, um, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. also a, quite an in-demand element because of its use in batteries and other things as well. So as we see the increase in demand for machines containing this, then that could become a problem. Then moving on to um, the life cycle and, and recycling, fortunately, soft magnetic materials tend to be used in conjunction with other high-value materials, mm-hmm. so things like copper and rare earth permanent magnets so even without all the legislation we're seeing come through now there is an economic argument for its proper removal separation and recycling Um, and there's lots of work going on that's across the uk actually so we've touched on the role of cobalt ions there and so on what else can soft magnetic materials be made of and, and why what are you looking for in terms of properties all useful uh, magnetic alloys are made of at least one of nickel, iron or cobalt. Mm-hmm. So those are the only three elements that are ferromagnetic at sensible temperatures. By far the greatest uh, volume of, of soft magnetic materials are based around a silicon iron alloy. Okay. Uh, so these tend to be known as electrical steels because mm-hmm. they offer the best balance of, of price and performance. We've already spoken about specialist applications that, that use cobalt ions but there's a, a huge range of more niche applications where you have a multitude of different alloys and, and different forms as well uh, things like uh, powder composites uh, are starting to become more common but most soft magnetic materials are used in the form of, of laminations so okay. thin sheets um, so most soft magnetic materials, particularly the the, the larger bulk ones, are made through a a fairly traditional route actually, so Mm -hmm. um, melting, casting, hot rolling, cold rolling, annealing. But with 
very, very careful control of things like the chemistry. Mm-hmm. So usually we want the alloys to be very, very clean, with very precise alloy content, um, and also very careful control of the, the microstructure. It always amazes me, actually, if you if you go to um, uh, an electrical steelworks um, and see how, how this stuff is made, the, the, the processes there wouldn't be unfamiliar to a, a steel worker from a hundred years ago. But, but the level of control that's being achieved is, is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, it's um... a huge amount of expertise and experience go into it. Then once we've made the alloys, that many of them are, are then coated. Um, so there's a variety of organic or inorganic coatings, mm-hmm. which, which have different functions depending on the application. Um, most, most typically to provide electrical insulation um, through the lamination stack to stop any currents. So in terms of these processes where you're talking about the need for incredibly clean alloys and control of the microstructure, does that have implications for the recycling and the circular economy? Will sort of any of the coatings have an effect on reuse or can they totally be removed and and provide a clean substrate again? So that said, most of the production of soft-plastic materials is steel-based and and, and that tends to have a a fairly traditional reprocessing route in that it just goes back in as as recycled scrap. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens um, as the volume of of cobalt iron increases. I don't think there's a a clear route for that and obviously there's a lot more value in it than there is in a steel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to look at possibilities of reuse rather than recycling. Um, so can we um, disassemble the machines and reassemble them as something else or use them in a, in a lower grade application maybe? Mm-hmm. So similar to the approach that's being taken with batteries. Okay, thank you. Sort of from, from your point of view, you talk about being the people in the middle who join different groups together what do you think sort of you you what do you wish that other groups were more aware of when they're developing or designing a new concept or a a modified use of a magnetic material what what would you like people to know something i i Hang on about <laughs> you might get me to, I give a presentation to any audience, really. Um, most people tend to think of soft magnetic materials as being quite passive components. Um, so they look like a piece of steel, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and people treat them as such. But they're actually extremely technically complex, so they're, they're very difficult to make, but they're also very difficult to use well. To start with, there is a huge range of different properties that can be achieved through the alloy and through the, 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 the different processing technologies. There are different forms that can be used, so uh, we can have it in the lamination form, but we can have different thicknesses of lamination, we can have it in uh, powder forms, so powder composites, but it's, it's very important to be aware of what you're doing with it. So initially, what you do with it through the manufacture of your device, 
So all the processes that you go through, so it's like cutting and stamping, winding, and pressing it into uh, casings, things mm-hmm. like that, all have quite a damaging effect on the material properties. Okay. So, so the material, having gone through all those processes, will not behave as the manufacturer's data sheet says it should. But also, we need people to be aware of the conditions they're subjecting them to in service. Mm-hmm. So what temperatures are operating out at? What are the magnetization conditions? So a lot of electromagnetic devices these days are part of very complex systems uh, driven by power electronics. Uh, and this, this leads to uh, very complex magnetization conditions in the soft magnetic cores of the devices. And the performance you see, again, will not equate with that which appears on the manufacturer's data sheets. Mm-hmm. So I would say a lot of the work which we're doing at the moment is about both characterizing the material through these manufacturing processes and in, in service conditions. So temperature, stress, magnetization conditions, and then trying to understand how best we can use the materials, whether we could be using different materials, and how to predict the properties under these conditions so that designers and users can be making educated choices what they're doing with it and what they're using. Thank you. I have I have a question that actually that that Neil Glover shared with me. Neil is our president and works at Rolls Royce. Um, well. Yeah, and and he said, "What's a squid, and what does it have to do with magnetics?" Squid. So squid stands for superconducting quantum interference device, um, which I think was definitely a case of coming up with the acronym first. <laughs> I, I think I suspect Neil absolutely knows what a squid is and just wanted me to ask. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> uh, and they're a very, very sensitive type of magnetic field sensor, uh, the most sensitive type uh, which you can you can, you can get. And they're, they're made from a pair of what's called Josephson junctions, which are built from from superconductors separated by a, an insulating layer. For, for our purposes, they tend to be sensors that are built into larger test systems where we take advantage of the fact that you have to cool the sensor because it's a superconducting sensor, um, so it has to be run at cryogenic temperatures. Mm-hmm. So they're usually packaged with a, a superconducting magnet at variable temperature stages to give us incredibly flexible instruments. So. Very, very, very sensitive, but also capable of very low field and very high field operation mm-hmm. at multiple temperatures. Um, so they're really valuable instruments to have in, in any magnetic lamps. Unfortunately, they're, they're also incredibly expensive, <laughs> um, both to buy and to run, actually. Yeah, I should imagine the, the temperature fluctuations are going to uh, increase your power use quite significantly. <laughs> Excellent. The later ones run off um, cryo coolers, which is uh, a lot easier to run. Thank you. So, um, so Phil, tell me a little bit more about the technical challenges that you face in your work. There are 
several key technical challenges. It's, it's important to say, actually, that our current understanding of the physics of magnetism has not really changed in, in 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a classic textbook, which I've got, I've got on my shelf here on ferromagnetism, which was first published in the early 50s. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that we can, we can explain everything. In fact, there's, there's, there's an awful lot left to explain. Um, and probably the most important one at the moment is the complex nature of the link between process microstructure, magnetic structures, and then magnetic properties. And there's, there's an awful lot to do there in order to fully understand that, in order to be able to properly control the processing of these materials and to be able to properly understand the use of the materials. So particularly as in use, the, the conditions we're subjecting them to are becoming ever more extreme mm-hmm. and, and our understanding is not sufficient to allow us to make reasonable predictions as to how they're going to perform. So the models which link all these things together are, are absolutely critical in order to for, for all of these new applications which we're talking about mm-hmm. to, to take place. If we want to optimise the devices, we're also going to have to optimise the materials. And in fact, the best way we can approach it is, is, is holistically. Mm-hmm. So treat the, the whole system as one giant optimization problem. Right. Um, and that may mean introducing a new material to an existing design. Mm-hmm. It may mean taking a new design to better use the materials, but the best solution is probably going to be a combination mm-hmm. of all of it. So in an ideal world, how would we like to perform this operation? Mm-hmm. What properties of materials might we need? And if we have this understanding and these models which can um, completely describe how they perform, that, that really frees us up to do that. Um, so to work both ways really so to say what can we do with these materials Mm -hmm. but also what would we like the materials to do yeah okay so it's building on the fundamental knowledge we have but also possibly starting to explore technologies such as artificial intelligence for maybe matching up what might be a good material for something and looking at technologies like Industry 4.0 where we're talking about the monitoring of production of materials and so on to the correct specifications. Yes, absolutely. We're talking at the moment with colleagues at the University of Manchester who have a lot of expertise in that area Mm -hmm. doing exactly that. Excellent. That sounds interesting. We'll... uh, We'll be keeping an eye on that and hoping to follow up on, on what might come out of it. Also, I believe you, you ha- guys have a blog where you uh, update people on what you, interesting magnetics applications and approaches. Yes, that's, that's, that's fairly new. Um, trying to educate ourselves on the new technologies and how we can better communicate the messages we have. So... Certainly, I would encourage people to, to keep an eye on that over the next few months as we, we start putting out more content there. 
Philip Anderson from Cardiff University, thank you very much for talking to me. I uh, feel like I understand a bit more about magnetic materials now, so thank you. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.